Welcome to Cardio Radio, a podcast of the Ohio Cardiovascular and Diabetes Health Collaborative, also known as Cardio. This is Dr. Michael Constant from the Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine, and I serve as a principal investigator for Cardio, a statewide network of Ohio's seven medical schools. Cardio is funded by the Ohio Department of Medicaid and shares best practices to improve cardiovascular health and diabetes outcomes and to eliminate health disparities in Ohio's Medicaid population. I hope you enjoy today's podcast. I am Mary Lee Clemens, an assistant lecturer at the University of Toledo College of Pharmacy and Pharmaceutical Sciences and a practicing clinical ambulatory care pharmacist with the University of Toledo General Internal Medicine Clinics. I'm also a member of Cardio's Team Best Practices. I am here today with my colleague, Dr. Dean Bricker. Happy to be here. I am Dean Bricker, Executive Vice Chair for the Department of Internal Medicine at Wright State University Boonshoft School of Medicine. I'm also Associate Program Director of the Internal Medicine Residency Program, and I'm also a member of Cardio's Team Best Practices. Today's podcast will define the differences between medication side effects and adverse events, discuss the importance of reviewing this information with patients, and describe conversation techniques to engage patients in discussions regarding medication side effects and adverse events. Side effect and adverse event are terms that are often used interchangeably. What are your thoughts about that, Marilee? And what would be uh, the definition of these terms? That's a great question. So every medication has potential side effects, which may be a common, unwanted, secondary effect of a medication. However, adverse events are unintended consequences that occur from taking a medication. Side effects tend to be more common than adverse events and are often anticipated by the prescriber. Adverse events are usually infrequent or rare, but typically more severe and require accurate identification in order to mitigate more serious and unintended medical consequences. Drug package inserts typically avoid both of these terms and rather lump them together under the term adverse reaction, listing some as mild and some as severe. How important do you think it is to discuss side effects and adverse events with patients when you start patients on medications? Well, our patients should be enabled to make informed decisions, so it's part of our job to inform them, and this is a necessary part of shared decision-making. And then it's important for patients to understand what to expect, and they're less likely to prematurely discontinue their medications, provided we've helped them understand what to anticipate. It can be challenging for patients to interpret the frequency of how often side effects or adverse events occur. What are some ways that we can easily explain frequencies to patients? So there's a couple different techniques we can use to explain these frequencies to patients. We can use numerical descriptors. Percentages can be helpful unless it's less than 1%. And then we could use frequencies. So natural frequencies such as 1 in 1,000, 1 in 10,000 is suggested. The European Medical Agency and the Council for International Organizations of Medical Sciences define events as common, which would be up to 1 in 10 people, uncommon, which is up to 1 in 100 people, rare, which is up to 1 in 1,000 people, and very rare, which is 1 in 10,000 people. How do patient perceptions about possible side effects and adverse events impact their adherence? 
So there's many possible barriers to optimal adherence. So there's things such as cost, um, complexity of the regimen, the patient's health, literacy, or numeracy. But concerns about side effects could be one of the most prevalent barriers. So patient perceptions can dissuade a patient from starting a medication. This is also known as primary non-adherence and may cause them to prematurely discontinue a medication's. If the side effects were something they were not anticipating, then a patient may stop a medication without discussing with their physicians, so it's important to educate patients on their medications. Dean, what are some strategies that we can use to educate patients on frequent side effects and promote adherence? Patients who know what the side effects are are in advance are less likely to discontinue. So we can certainly have a conversation with them before starting a new medicine about potential side effects. And uh, we can also engage them with a plan uh, should they encounter some side effects or adverse events, what they can do. And then, of course, conversing is important, and uh, I would suggest a guiding conversation style. We can talk a little bit more about that later. So, Marilee, what are some of the more common side effects of diabetes medications? Is there a difference by class, and how can we minimize some of these side effects? Yeah, so I'm going to talk about five uh, main classes that we use to treat patients with diabetes. The first one is metformin. Typically, the most common side effect is gastrointestinal upset. So to minimize this, we can start patients on the extended release formulation, and we can titrate the dose slowly when starting or lower the dose to ensure that the patient is taking the maximum tolerated dose. Additionally, we want to make sure that patients always take metformin with food to help minimize any stomach upset from occurring. The second class is the glucagon-like peptide 1 receptor agonists. So most commonly, patients will experience nausea, vomiting, or diarrhea. This is um, simply from the mechanism of how the medication works. So we want to make sure that the patients stop eating when they feel full. We instruct them to eat smaller meals throughout the day. We should tell patients to anticipate to eat about 50% less than what they're used to. And then maybe extend the time period on the lower dose until the patient is able to tolerate the medication prior to increasing the dose. The next class is the sodium glucose cotransporter 2 inhibitors. Patients often may experience increased urination. Additionally, genital mycotic infections will occur. We want patients to take these medications in the morning, increase their water intake, and then ensure they're maintaining proper hygiene. And then lastly, we can group these two uh, classes of medications together, sulfonylureas and insulin. They work um, similarly, and oftentimes we will see weight gain or hypoglycemia with these medications. So to mitigate these side effects, we can maintain or instruct patients to maintain a consistent exercise routine and diet, ensure that they are monitoring for hypoglycemia, and definitely make sure the patients are provided with instructions on how to identify and treat hypoglycemia should it occur. Marilee, what are some of the notorious adverse events of various diabetes medications, and how often do they occur? So for metformin, um, we may see vitamin B12 deficiency, and this frequency is noted as um, 17, 7 to 17% of the time. Also, lactic acidosis is noted as a black box warning for metformin. However, this is primarily from its predecessor, Finformin. In a series of over 300 case studies of lactic acidosis comparing metformin with other medications, as well as other observational studies of cohorts, this does not appear to be higher in metformin. 
With glucagon-like peptide 1 receptor agonists, adverse events include pancreatitis, which occurs less than 1% of the time, retinopathy due to diabetes, which occurs about 2% of the time. This was seen in the SUSTAIN-6 trial and was associated with semaglutide. However, it does not appear to be related to the glucagon-like peptide 1 receptor agonist itself, but due to a rapid correction in glucose. For our sodium glucose cotransporter 2 inhibitors, diabetic ketoacidosis occurs less than 1% of the time, necrotizing fasciitis of the perineum occurs less than 1% of the time, and was actually based upon FDA adverse event reporting system and has not been confirmed in randomized controlled trials or large studies. And then we also have increased risk of amputations. For our dipeptidyl peptidase 4 inhibitors, pancreatitis is noted less than 1% of the time. Exacerbation of heart failure symptoms was observed with saxagliptin and possibly allogliptin. The mechanism is unknown and frequency is undefined. And then severe arthralgias, the mechanism is also unknown with that adverse event as well. Sulfonylureas, cardiovascular mortality is controversial. It was not observed in the Carolina outcomes trial, which compared glimepiride to lenagliptin and demonstrated that there was no increased risk of cardiovascular mortality when comparing the two drugs. For insulin, the most common adverse events are hypokalemia, which is a transient issue, edema, and then prolonged hypoglycemia for long-acting insulin. Well, thanks for reviewing all those adverse events. Uh, Sounds like, thankfully, most of them are relatively uncommon. What are some potential contraindications for commonly prescribed diabetes medications? Yeah, so for metformin, we avoid use in patients with an EGFR less than 30 or patients who have or had um, acute or chronic metabolic acidosis, including diabetic ketoacidosis. For our glucagon-like peptide 1 receptor agonists, we want to use with caution in patients with advanced chronic kidney disease patients with personal or family history of medullary thyroid carcinoma, patients with multiple endocrine neoplasia type 2, or patients with hyperparathyroid. For sodium glucose cotransporter 2 inhibitors, these medications definitely cannot be used in patients on dialysis, and there are renal adjustments. However, these differ between the indication for the medications. It's important to review the most up-to-date data to determine if the medication can be safely continued. For sulfonylureas, we want to use caution in patients with advanced chronic kidney disease. For dipeptidyl peptidase 4 inhibitors, certain medications within that class cannot be used in chronic kidney disease, so you would want to review to ensure that they are appropriately renally adjusted. And then for completion purposes with insulin, I am not aware of any absolute contraindications. So Dean, do all adverse events need to be discussed with patients? How can we engage our patients in their care, prevent therapeutic inertia, and promote adherence? So this is a real challenge. All life-threatening adverse events should be presented, either through discussion or written information. The main challenges are time constraints in the office and not wanting to unduly worry or dissuade patients from considering treatments where the potential benefits may outweigh risks. So how can all members of the healthcare team, physicians and pharmacists and others, complement the conversation with patients on medications? What difference do you see, if any, in pharmacists versus physician in discussing side effects or adverse events? So one study demonstrated that physicians 
discuss side effects and adverse events only one third of the time. However, pharmacists can be more thorough, but maybe provide too much information that can lead to information overload for the patient. So physicians and pharmacists can have complementary roles and discussions about the benefits of medications, how to take them, review common side effects and how to deal with them, and review the uncommon but concerning adverse events and how to monitor and treat them. So shared decision-making is advocated, yet patients may be reluctant to initiate new medications and clinicians may feel obliged to persuade the patients. What biases should prescribers be aware of when communicating about new medications and how does framing information influence our patients' perceptions? Well, we all have potential cognitive biases Uh, These include things like attribute framing, optimism bias, projection bias, default bias. And an example would be for attribute framing, many times a patient would choose something if we presented it in the positive, such as 90% chance of survival, but they may not want that option if we framed it the opposite way and said a 10% chance of dying. But yet this is really the same data. Can you describe the guiding style of communication and how this method can be helpful in a discussion about medications? Sure. A a guiding style is really consistent with the spirit of motivational interviewing. And this, uh, in this style, we're not directive, where we tell patients they must do something, and we're not following the patient all over the place in our conversation. We are guiding them in a given direction, and it's best if we use open-ended questions instead of closed-ended questions. It's helpful if we do a lot of reflective listening. And then, of course, education may be necessary, but we should do it with permission. So we should check what they understand and then give them some information and then check back to see how they feel after knowing that. So lastly, what might be an example dialogue of how a prescriber can guide a patient on starting a new diabetes medication, such as a glucagon-like peptide one receptor agonist, dulaglutide? So an example would be something like this. I see from your labs that the trend we discussed last time of your A1C being elevated has continued. Unfortunately, that increases the risk of complications from your diabetes. What are your thoughts about adding another medication since your glucoses have been running high? Uh, When we ask a question like this, we need to recognize that many patients are reluctant to initiate additional medications for a variety of reasons. And if patients are not in agreement to initiate a new medication and we're not aware, the result may be a prescription written but never filled. That's primary non-adherence. A patient may also express reluctance about medication costs, side effects like nausea and diarrhea. So we may reflect something like this. It seems you are concerned about side effects. There are ways to address these concerns, and one of the potential benefits is also weight loss. So if patients are hesitant to add any new medication, we might consider something like this. Where do you see your diabetes going if you decide not to make any changes? The reason to address this is uh, we should always consider exploring the no change option. It's best for us to be candid and inquire rather than to assume that if we prescribe a new medicine, they will take it and then later find out that they haven't taken it. So how should we approach educating patients about initiating a new medication? We could ask first what their understanding is. What is your understanding about a medication called dolaglutide, trilicity? If it's okay with you, I could explain a bit about how it works, some possible side effects, 
some rare adverse events and why I think it might be a good choice to help improve your diabetes. It's important for us to assess their knowledge and get permission if we're going to educate them. Another example would be how to deal with the side effects of dulaglutide. Dulaglutide can often cause some gastrointestinal side effects like nausea and diarrhea, but there are ways to help deal with that. What concerns do you have about side effects? Every medication, including those that you get over the counter, have some potential side effects. If you like, I could explain some ways to help minimize those side effects. So here's how I might discuss adverse events with a patient. We should also discuss some possible but rare adverse events. Most of them are rare, but we have to pay attention for them as they could possibly cause more serious health concerns. There are two main things to discuss. You should not take dulaglutide if you have a personal or family history of medullary thyroid carcinoma. Also, this medication should not be taken by patients with multiple endocrine neoplasia type 2, a rare genetic syndrome that causes multiple tumors of endocrine glands. Well, despite these conversations, patients may still be reluctant about specific medications or side effects. If that's the case, I would suggest something like this. If you agree, we could discuss some other options and together decide which makes the most sense for you. When we do this, we're acknowledging patients' autonomy and we're inviting them to share in decision-making. Or we could ask a question like this. If you would like more time or information before deciding, I can provide some written information and you may have further discussions with our clinical pharmacist. So we want to promote medication understanding, and we also want uh, them to be able to consent to treatment. Yet another question would be, how would you feel about having a follow-up visit soon so we might address any concerns you might have and assess how well the medication is working? Again, our goal is to promote adherence and to decrease therapeutic inertia. So in summary, side effects and adverse events are not synonymous. It's important for prescribers and patients to understand and discuss both, especially when initiating new medication. Second, anticipating and addressing common side effects may improve patient adherence, and a guiding style of conversation with patients is key. Thank you, Dean, for joining me today. I think we covered a lot of important information that will hopefully help support clinicians in talking with their patients about their medications. And thank you, Marilee. And a special thank you to you, our listeners, for tuning in to Cardio Radio. This concludes today's podcast. Be sure to visit cardio.org to learn more about the Ohio Cardiovascular and Diabetes Health Collaborative.